We're in our third week of our preaching series, Share the Gospel um, at All Times When Necessary. Use words. Again, obviously, uh, the premise is not to wait to the last minute um, to use uh, words. Um, it doesn't say when desperate, <laughs> use words uh, when necessary. And, and the fact of the matter is it's always necessary to use words, right? Throughout God's Word, Jesus does amazing things, and you know what? He always follows it up. Here's why I did that. He doesn't leave anybody guessing as to why he did things. He explained things. So, so words are always, always necessary. So last week, at its heart, right, to be called is, is an invitation to a meal, right? Jesus came to invite the lost to share a meal with him, to share some time with him. Why? In order to get to know them, to love them, and bring them into the fellowship of his kingdom. And he wants us to do the exact same thing. So, a question for us this morning. A new neighbor moves in next door, or a new co-worker is given the office or the cubicle next to yours, that cute guy, that cute girl is assigned a seat right next to you for the entire semester. You're very excited about that. A guest maybe arrives here at church. You, you decide the situation, the circumstances. It's kind of a you-pick situation here. So you decide to ask this person, whoever it is in whatever situation it was, you ask this person out for coffee and for a meal. What do most people, I, I'm guessing many people, what does that conversation look like? Right? I, I'm sure many of you have done this, and you, right now you're thinking back to your head, well, what did I talk about? Right? What, what? My guess is if you're like me, you swap stories, right? You, 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 don't, you don't know, you're, you're, you've obviously want to get to know this person, hence the invitation to share a meal. And, and I know one of the first things when I have, I said, so tell me your story, right? That, that's like the words that come out of my mouth because I, I want to know about them and I want to know, does my story match their story, right? Where are the differences? Where are the similarities? Um, and and, and in, in that manner, as we swap stories, we kind of find common ground. We, we, we get to know each other, right? Now, might start out with sharing your world, Right? If I'm from California and you're from Alaska, the very beginning of our conversation is probably going to be along those lines. Alaska, that must be horrible, right? <laughs> from my perspective. And, 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 and if you're from the same world, as an example, you're all from the, the Pacific Northwest where you kind of move past that and you begin to share stories of your interaction with a shared world, right? This happened right, or, or that happened, and, and, and we love it when this happens, we hate it when this happens, how about you, right? Just by way of swapping stories, we, we kind of center our relationship. We find out where the relationship is, is sitting. By what? We, 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 share, we share stories, right? Our interaction, if you're from Alaska, oh, I got a story, this is how we have to start our cars, it's crazy, listen to this, and I will be going, what? And, and I'll just find out that, that if you're in Alaska, you're crazy or you're a stud. I mean, you, you just find these things out, right, through stories. You find out about each other. My wife, um, in a couple weeks, we're going to go see one of my cousins, and she's going to be somewhat miserable. I, I, we recognize this. I've shared this to Carter family. We get together and we share stories, right? 
we're all kind of from the same world. We had the same parents and grandparents, and, and we, the cousins, we get together, and we just swap stories till very, very, very late at night. And the in-laws, right, they're a part of our world, but they're not a part of any of these stories. And so you'll notice as the evening goes on, the in-laws kind of slide away because they're sick and tired of hearing Carter family stories. But we'll never stop, right? We will never stop because it just feeds us, right? We, we, we connect to each other. We reconnect to each other by all the crazy things that we did when we were kids. But Diane's and the other in-laws, they're, they're on the outside, right? They, they weren't a part of those stories, Kind of in, in a similar fashion, Diane and I are beginning to understand the world of the Pacific Northwest. All right, we haven't been here very long, so we're not a part of any of the stories, right? You know, saw Pastor Jerry out hunting the other day. <laughs> saw Pastor Jerry out shooting stuff the other day or, or fishing, right? There aren't many of those stories around because I'm still working my way into the stories of the Northwest. I'm, I'm still, my stories are still Southern California. I, I mean, I recognize that. You recognize that. But I'm working on it. I'm working on it, right? So here's the problem. As I'm beginning to understand the world of the Pacific Northwest, I erroneously, I wrongly, sometimes I think I understand your stories. Come to find out, not everybody hunts and fishes and runs around shooting stuff. I'd kind of gathered that. I know your world, you're all crazy. You all shoot stuff. All. No, that's not true actually at all. As I've gotten to know you, I've met other people that don't actually have guns and, and shoot stuff. The mistake many of us make is to know of somebody's world and assume to know their stories of living in that world. I went camping a lot. You all know that. We're from Southern California, and people would find that out, and they would immediately make assumption, right? We know the world of Southern California, so you must surf. Now, it was a lucky guess, a completely lucky guess, because 99% of Californians have never even been in the water, right? But they just make this assumption, I know your world, so I know your story. Again, lucky guess. <laughs> they were accurate on that one, but more often than not, if they had asked 99 other Californians, they would have said, no, no, we don't all surf. That's that's just silly on the face of it. That's just, that's just silly. My mom recently reached out to hug Simi, my granddaughter. Simi's an angel unless you move too fast. And she quickly, uh, Jekyll and Hyde, Dr. Jekyll and Hyde, I mean, it's that kind of thing, just the most angelic voice. And then, so she yelled at my mom, I don't know you. Because my mom had tried to hug her. Like I so said, my mom understood the world of toddlers, obviously. She had four of us, but she didn't. She made the mistake of assuming that she understood Simmy's toddler story. And Timmy, Simmy's toddler story is move slow, right? You earn the right to hug her. You don't just go up and hug her because she will tear your head off. And she did that to my mom. It was like, ah, right? And, you know, in one of those slow motions, like, no. And then it was out, and mom understood. See, sometimes believers, we make this mistake with unbelievers, right? We make some, some fairly arrogant, kind of self-righteous, kind of insulting assumptions, right? When we meet somebody who's an unbeliever, right? They, they, they must be devil worshipers or in a gang, 
right? That's, no, just, just, just kidding. But, but we, we do make some silly assumptions, right? They probably live fast and loose, right? Anyway, by the definition of that believer's church, they most likely don't believe in God or angry at God or they hate God or the church or Christians, some combination they're in, right? That, that's the assumption we make. And they definitely, definitely don't want to have any spiritual conversations with a Christian, right? We make those assumptions. But the fact of the matter is, we're probably wrong on most of them. In fact, this last one, we're definitely wrong. Turns out um, it's not true, right? A recent Barna poll, Barna does a lot of research for churches, kind of like the Pew Institute. Um, and, and the results of the recent Barna poll says this. This is their words here. The top thing people look for in a conversation with a Christian, we need to hear this is that they listen without judgment. People of no faith are also hoping for honesty about questions and doubts, and they don't want forced conclusions, right? And, and well-intentioned Christians, we walk into these relationships, I'm going to be friends with you in order to make sure you go to heaven. That rubs some folks wrong. Now, if you start out, I want to be your friend, I... I and I'm beginning to really, really like you, so I really need to share something with you. Now, that I can see, that, that's a beautiful thing. But again, we learned last week, right? People far from God, they can smell your intentions. Do you really care about them, or you just want to score one for your team, right? Want a soul today? See ya. Bottom line in the poll, unbelievers are very, very interested in having spiritual conversations, but it's got to be built on care and consideration. It can't be a one-way street. It cannot be just us firehosing them. This is their words, less of a hammer, more of an invitation, not my words. I want you to listen once again to Paul's words from the message version. This is from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and I, like he, he gets it. And again, I chose the message version because it just, it comes out so much stronger than the other versions. Even though I am, sorry, saw something rolling down the floor. Um, even though I am free of the demands and expectations of everyone, I have voluntarily become a servant to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people, religious, non-religious, meticulous moralists, Loose living, immoralists, the defeated, the demoralized, whoever, right? I don't take on their way of life. I keep my bearing in Christ, but I entered into their world, and then I tried to experience things from their point of view. I've become just about every sort of servant there is in my attempt to lead those I meet into a God-saved life. He entered into their worlds, and then he experienced Right, kind of a two-step two thing there. Entered into their world, and just by entering into their world, by dropping, every, by, by leaving his world, and you'll recognize this in our own lives, when somebody leaves their comfort zone and they reach out and walk across the room in an obviously uncomfortable manner, but they do it anyway, almost no matter what they say, we're going to welcome them because by their very act of walking across the room and including us, they have welcomed us. And like, oh, thank you. I was kind of tired of standing alone. Thank you for walking across the room and just talking with me, right? He entered into their worlds, and then he experienced, as much as their stories is prudent, right? He says, I didn't 
become like them. I didn't become their stories. I kept my story intact. And he didn't allow their story to become his story. Rather, he shared how his story had become part of God's story. And then, and then, and then afterwards, right, I want to make that point very clear, he invited folks to join that story that he had joined, God's story. We can see this all play out at the woman of the well. We, we, we saw the video here, um, different names and different versions of the Bible, the Samaritan woman. Jesus speaks to a Samaritan woman. Regardless, it's in John 4. I'm going to start verses 1 through 4. It says this. Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized but his disciples. Obviously, the Pharisees, in kind of keeping tabs on what John and Jesus were doing, these two kind of radical cousins, right? And, and Jesus, I think, recognized the fact that the Pharisees are going to use this fact to try to drive a wedge between the believers, right? Some of them are currently following John. All of them will follow Jesus eventually as John and Jesus, you know, explain this to their separate disciples. But Jesus knows, man, those Pharisees, they're going to use this. So he decides, well, I'm just going to take off. I'm just I'm going to head north to my home region, Galilee. Um, long story short, he didn't have to go through Samaria. It says this, so he left Judea, which is in the southern part of the Holy Land, and went back once more north to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria. Interesting the way that's spoken. Um, Pharisees, again, uh, wanted to drive a wedge, so he heads up north. Long story short, he did not have to go through Samaria. But Jesus had something he had to do, something his disciples had to see and they had to experience. So, so, yeah, he did have to go through Samaria. But the fact of the matter is most Jews don't go through Samaria. They don't feel like they have to go through Samaria. If you're living in Judea and you're a Judean Jew and you want to visit your cousins up in Galilee, you didn't go straight through Samaria. You headed east first through, uh, how do you say that, uh, Perea, um, head north and then head back west into Galilee, but you didn't cross through Samaria. They hated you. You didn't like them. You end up having rocks thrown at each other. It's just too much trouble. Right, so you just kind of go around. It doubled the journey from a one-day journey to a two-day journey, right? But people did it, right, because they didn't want to go through Samaria. They didn't have to go through Samaria. They could just go around Samaria because here's the key. They certainly weren't going to go to Jerusalem. And as a church, boy, that says a lot. Jesus had to go to them because he knew. <coughs> he knew they weren't coming to Jerusalem, so I'm going to Samaria. Verse continues, verses 5 and 6. So he came to a town in Samaria called uh, Suhar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus asked her, will you give me a drink of water? And his disciples had gone into town, you know, to buy some food. Verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. So first, right, there's the Jew-Gentile thing, which can obviously be broken. It's obviously a bendable rule because where are the disciples right now? They're in a Samaritan town buying food from Samaritans. So do Jews mix with Samaritans? 
If you got to eat, yes, right? So, so that one's not a hard and fast one, but the second one, it's a bit more of a taboo, the male-female kind of thing. Now, that, that kind of could have shook them up. Um, again, there was some leeway there. You follow Jesus in the, in, in the Gospels, and plenty of times in public places, he talks to women, right? They don't have an overseer or anything like that. It, I mean, it happens. So this rule is, is a taboo, but it's, it's loose. It's pliable also. Now, here's the weird thing, and I'm sure the disciples were thinking about this, but throughout the Old Testament, when a man goes to a well and meets a woman, what happens? There's usually a wedding coming, right? How many of our Old Testament heroes met their wives at a well at noon? And then the woman goes back to the village, and boom, you got a wedding feast a week later. I don't know what the disciples were thinking. It's like, oh, Jesus alone, or a woman with a well. Are we, right? It's, 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 hmm, hmm. But that's not even the biggest taboo. The biggest taboo is that he was a holy man. Not just a man, but he was a holy man. He was a rabbi. And she was an unholy woman. Now, we don't know that yet. But, Jesus, but excuse me, the Samaritan woman, she knows what Jesus, a Jewish holy man, is most likely thinking. She knows her background. And again, it might not be, she might not be a, a, an immoral person. She could very well be the victim of a male-dominated society that has just trashed her and passed her on to old man, old man, old man, because many young women were left husbandless, right, in order to secure a future. They married an older man. Well, he dies Right? So this, we, we, we jump to conclusions, right? We don't know her story, right? We know her world. It's Samaritans, and they're not correct believers, and we jump to a conclusion. Oh, I know your story. Your problem, don't. No, we, we need to be careful. We need to be careful about that thing. So anyway, unholy man meeting an unholy woman. I mean, that, that's, that's the biggest of all the taboos. But that's not what this Jewish holy man does. He doesn't bring up any of that. He visibly and very overtly, very obviously, leaves his world to enter her world. And again, right there, her heart had to have softened. Just, just right there, before we go any further, boy, he crossed the aisle, right? He crossed the aisle big time in a political phrase. Right? He obviously wants and cares about me. So let's see what this guy has to say. Jesus then invites her to share some time together right, over a tall, cool cup of water on a hot day. And then what did they do? Right, the same thing you do when you're having a meal with somebody. They, they swap stories. Right? You watch the conversation. They're even talking, well, I'm from Jerusalem. Well, I'm from Samaritan. This way, way do we do it. Well, that's the way you... Right? They're, they're swapping stories. They're, they're kind of feeling each other out. Right? Where, where's this relationship going? Swapping stories, right? She knows they're from different worlds, but that doesn't seem to bother this guy. And he seems genuinely interested in me and how I'm coping in my world, right? He seems to know about my world, and he seems to know my story in my world, and he generally seems to care. And who's he to judge, right? He just broke half a dozen of his own laws. <laughs> so I'm going to listen to this guy. And they have a life-giving conversation, right, that would change the woman's life forever and change the lives of her village just from this 
Jesus decided, I'm going to enter your world. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to spend some time with you. And we're just going to swap stories. I'm going to find out each other, about each other. I'm going to jump to verse 27. It says, just then his disciples returned, because, you know, they had this big old long conversation. He reveals he's the Messiah. Just then, just as he's revealing that he's the Messiah, like, so they hear this. They're coming up. That's, that's kind of the, the weight of this sentence here. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. Catch this. But nobody asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her, you know, turning to Jesus? Why are you talking with her, turning to the woman? What do you want? The disciples have learned that Jesus does stuff like this, right? He enters into the world of people around him and their stories, right? He, he gets down in the dirt and he gets his hands dirty, right? He doesn't just enter their world, but he enters their stories, the pain and misery of their stories in their worlds. But the disciples have no desire to do the same. They don't want to know what the woman is doing there. They don't care. They don't ask any questions. Jesus is odd. We don't have to be odd. <laughs> they have no desire to find out how her world might be abusing her. Continuing verses 28 through 30, then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of town and made their way toward him. I want to zero in on something here. Notice how she clearly doesn't know the Romans road. Right? You all heard the Romans road. Go through four or five verses in Rome and you explain the whole salvation story. She clearly didn't know the bridge illustration. Right? She didn't understand clearly the three stories outline she probably didn't even know her evangelistic style, had taken no surveys, right? This woman is an evangelistic basket case, right? Can we just say that? And yet she is a perfect witness. See, there's a difference between those two, right? Some of us are gifted evangelists, and in fact, Ephesians chapter 4 kind of points that out. Paul makes the case that to be an evangelist is a gift. It doesn't, it doesn't relieve us of that responsibility, but it just states that some of us are going to be really, really good at it, right? Think Bob Loon. Right, that crazy guy, I, man, I'll just tell you what, that guy's gifted evangelist. Right, he breathes on you and you're probably going to accept Christ as your Savior. He, he just, he's got that. But we're not all called, not all, excuse me, gifted to be evangelists. We are called to be evangelists, but here's something we are all called to do. We're all called to witness. We're all called to share our story. Here's what God did in my life. Here's what I saw. Here's what I experienced. And you cannot argue with that. You can argue with my propositional truths until the sun goes down, the cows come home, whatever the phrase, can't remember it all now, right? Doesn't matter. What I tell you is my truth and you cannot argue with it. And the villagers totally believed her. They knew her. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. He stayed for a couple more days. And because of his words, now this is in addition to her words, right? From her words, many believed. Now it says because of his words, many more believed, right? Their stories. Samaritan woman, 
takes it a certain way down the road, and because she doesn't know her evangelistic style, Jesus and the disciples take over at that point, apparently, and, and for two days they disciple and they, they do all that. I, I don't know what they did. But because of his words, many more became believers. I said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves that we can hear things secondhand. We can hear rumors. We can make sordid decisions. But when we finally experience, <laughs> that changes everything. Changes everything. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Listen, we tell stories all day long. It's what we do as human beings. That's the way we communicate, a lot of times by way of stories. I want to challenge us all. Begin to slip God into your conversations. Fairly easy to do. You don't have to know the Roman road. You don't have to know the chair illustration. You don't have to know any of those things. Just share what Jesus has done in your life. And again, it doesn't have to be miraculous. It can just be I was in terribly alone and, and God took away that loneliness. Right? I felt abandoned and I don't feel abandoned anymore. It doesn't have to be I had this disease and, and now I'm walking. It, it doesn't have to be anything like that. They're not going to relate to that anyway, but they're going to relate to the pains and hurts that you've had and that Christ has addressed. They're going to definitely relate to that. They're going to walk right into that story. You don't even need to invite them. They're going to walk right on in. So slip God into the conversations, right? When sharing a meal, sharing coffee, and you're swapping stories, right? Include how important God is in your life. By way of a well-told story, people are invited into a different story, and again, they go willingly. The power of a story is best illustrated by the popularity of good stories, of well-told stories. Think Charles Schultz. He says he gets to preach to people without them ever knowing it, and they like it. Now, if they knew that through his comic strip that he was preaching to them, they might not read his comic strip, but he just kind of slips God into the conversation by way of his comic strip because he knows people. Right? If you're going to preach at them, they're not going to listen. But by way of story, people, it's the power of Jesus' parables. Right? People naturally found themselves identified with a character in the story. And if they were honest, and if they were open, right, they would take a look in the mirror and they would make adjustments. But if they were blind, like many in the New Testament, the Pharisees, or they just, they just choose to look away. No, 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 no. But by way of a story, people go willingly. I've told you this. My vice principal, when I had a couple years of a, a, an assignment teaching at-risk kids, ninth graders, and he asked me one day, are you sharing your faith in your family with them? And I was immediately on guard because that could get me in trouble. And I mumbled something. I might have lied. I don't know what I said. But he, and he said, no, no, just stop, stop. I want you to share your family and your faith with those kids. Their home lives are an absolute toilet. They are just a wreck. They're never going to go listen to somebody talk about how to be good moms and dads. That will never happen. But while they're in your classroom, they respect you. As you just share stories 
They're going to find out that there's a different way to live. There are other stories out there that they can live. They don't have to live the story that was handed them. Right? They might not be able to change their worlds, but they can definitely change their stories. And Mr. Carter, we need you to give them an opportunity. Might not happen right away, probably won't happen while you're around, but they need to know that there's a different way of living in their world. They can live a different story. So we can't redeem what we can't see and what we don't find out about. In gracious mercy, Jesus entered both Matthew's privileged story and the Samaritan's privileged less story to redeem both stories. And again, he didn't just enter into our world. But he made his dwelling here for 33 years, and he experienced our stories, failure, and rejection and abandonment. Again, he didn't just enter our world. He experienced our stories. Right? So that when we come to him, we know, you know what I'm talking about, Jesus. You know exactly what I'm feeling. I know your story. In closing... as we prepare for communion. <coughs> in Christ Jesus, God entered into our story, right, in order to redeem our story. And he calls us to go and do the same. Again, most times we're not able to change our worlds, but we can change our stories. And if you're in this room right now, maybe listening to my voice at home, as we prepare for communion, you can change your story. Jesus, I accept you as my Lord and Savior. I'm making a mess of my story, and I would like to be a part of your story. I want to be a part of the story that changes the world because I'm not changing anything. I'm just making a mess of stuff. It's a fairly simple prayer. And for those other of you who have, have prayed that prayer and I want to challenge you to invite a friend to share a meal. And then just swap stories. Don't, don't have the big agenda. Just swap stories and see where God's spirit takes you. Would you bow your heads? Father, thank you so much for your son who left a really a beautiful world and a beautiful story, right? The perichoresis, a perfect love relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? Your Son left all of that to enter our world and then to bear our stories. Father, we, we are in awe. We can't say enough words of thank you for your gracious mercy. but we can certainly pass it on. So, Father, this morning as we, as we share communion together, 
Help us focus our hearts and our minds on, on, on what your son did and what it cost him. And when people find out what it cost them, how can you say no? Thank you, Father, for your Son, for your Holy Spirit. In their names we pray.